Hi, you're listening to Square Two, a podcast building upon Square One, the restored gospel of Jesus Christ, as taught by the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. Here you will find insightful LDS thought concerning the important issues of the world today. We hope you enjoy the podcast. Today's episode features an article entitled, Church Policy Changes Regarding Victims of Abuse Are a Positive Step, by Emily Powers, published in Square Two, Volume 11, Number 1, and read by Sean Canney. On March 26, 2018, the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints announced a revision regarding a bishop's responsibility when dealing with victims of abuse. Mormon bishops are not trained counselors. They do not have years of coursework, nor degrees in social work or psychology. When an LDS man is called to be a bishop, he is simply not bishop one day, then a bishop the next. There is no standard training that he receives, although he does receive a handbook of instruction. Consequently, the counseling and advice bishops give to victims of abuse is inconsistent across the church and is not based on accepted therapeutic practice. Bishops are called to minister to the spiritual needs of their ward members, but it is often difficult for them to distinguish where spiritual needs end and mental health needs begin. A bishop would not presume to try to heal physical trauma from an injury. He knows that a medical doctor should be consulted for that. However, especially without any training on the subject, it is much more difficult to know when a mental health professional should be called in for emotional and mental trauma. The most prominent recent example of women receiving harmful advice from their bishops has been in the Rob Porter case. Rob Porter was working his way up in the Trump administration, but had not attained full security clearance because of reports of domestic violence from two ex-wives and a former girlfriend. Both ex-wives had reported this abuse to their Mormon bishops. However, his first wife, Colby Holderness, found it difficult to talk to the bishop in detail about what she was experiencing because the bishop was counseling the husband and wife together. She didn't feel free to express the extent of the abuse in the presence of her husband and was advised by the bishop to remain in the marriage. She stated that it wasn't until she later met with a mental health professional that she realized just how much danger she was in and divorced her husband against the advice of her bishop. Jennifer Willoughby, Porter's second wife, was advised by a bishop not to get a restraining order against Porter because it could affect his career. While these are two highly publicized experiences of women with different bishops, I can say that just within my small circle of friends, I have heard many stories from women who approached their bishops about domestic violence and received similar advice. The new policies written in the General Handbook of Instruction should help prevent many of these problems. First, the handbook now gives to bishops in the United States and Canada a hotline number that they can call at any time for advice on how to help counsel a person who has experienced any type of abuse. The handbook states that, quote, the bishop or stake president should promptly call the helpline about every situation in which he believes a person may have been abused or neglected or is at risk of being abused or neglected, end quote. For every single situation of abuse, 
the bishop is now asked to call on legal and clinical professionals through the hotline. This is a tremendous resource for both the bishop and those whom he counsels. While the bishop may not have received any training at the time of his calling, he now has a resource where he will be coached through the interaction he will have with victims of abuse. This constant access to support and advice for bishops on each individual case is so much more effective than can be given in some sort of onboarding training session that bishops could receive. It is individual, tailored to the situation, and continuous. It is an incredible resource that will vastly improve both the spiritual and the mental health care that survivors of abuse receive when they turn to their bishops for help. I have read a number of criticisms pointing out that this hotline is only for bishops, not for victims. However, that gets to the heart of what one expects the church to do. The LDS Church is not a professional mental health provider. It is not set up to conduct clinical therapy. However, when a bishop calls this hotline, they will have resources and recommendations of local clinical professionals who can provide therapy and assistance to those suffering the consequences of abuse. And if the individual cannot afford it, it is within the bishop's purview to assist with covering those costs. This way, the bishop becomes well-positioned to help victims of abuse deal with any spiritual scars that have resulted, and assist the survivor to find those who can help heal the mental and emotional wounds that were left. In addition to providing a support to the bishop when dealing with survivors of abuse, the handbook also includes some additional guidelines for bishops. The handbook clearly states that, quote, Most but not all allegations of abuse are true and should be taken seriously and handled with great care, end quote. And, quote, Church leaders should never disregard a report of abuse, end quote. The fact that every allegation of abuse should be taken seriously and followed up with a call to the hotline is an important new inclusion. Even if the bishop is unsure about the truthfulness, he is to take it seriously and begin steps to help the one who has come seeking help. Bishops are now also instructed that, quote, the first and immediate responsibility of church leaders is to help those who have been abused. Members should never be encouraged to remain in a home or situation that is abusive or unsafe, end quote. This is a very big change from the way things were previously handled. While bishops are still instructed not to advise couples to divorce, that is a decision that is supposed to be left up to the couple. A bishop may advise a spouse to leave the house or even get a restraining order. In fact, it clearly states that bishops should never, quote, counsel a member not to report criminal activity to law enforcement personnel, end quote. Had these changes been in place and followed by the various bishops of Rob Porter's ex-wives, the women would have been supported in gaining the physical safety they needed and finding professional resources to help them with the effects of this abusive behavior. The second criticism I have heard regarding the new policy is in one comment where it says that, quote, priesthood leaders should help those who have committed abuse to repent and cease their abusive behavior, end quote. It has been rightly pointed out in many statements in the media that a bishop is not trained, nor should he even attempt to provide clinical help for perpetrators of abuse, especially those guilty of sexual violence. However, this statement is followed up with the advice that, quote, 
professional counseling may be helpful for the victims and perpetrators and their families. End quote. If a bishop is following the guidelines, he will be calling the hotline, staffed with legal and clinical professionals, when he is dealing with a perpetrator of abuse. And since their first objective along with the bishop will be to prevent future abuse, hopefully, those providing advice on the hotline will be able to advise the bishop when he clearly needs to refer an abuser to professional help. Whether these changes result in a clear difference will depend on the skills of those who are answering the hotline and the willingness of bishops to take their advice. Inevitably, as this new system gets up and running, there will be some mistakes and some miscommunications here and there. The church is also permitting children, youth, and women to ask another adult to join them in a bishop's interview, which change in policy may help prevent some of this. However, even with those bumps, it is a vast improvement from throwing bishops into a role as spiritual counselor with no training nor guidance on how to deal with situations of abuse. This is a tremendous and greatly welcomed step forward in the ministering and caring for our people. This has been a recording of Church Policy Changes Regarding Victims of Abuse or a Positive Step by Emily Powers. Originally published in Square 2, Volume 11, Number 1, Spring of 2018. Read by Sean Canny. This audio recording is copyrighted under a Creative Commons license and may be freely distributed if it remains unchanged. The journal and website are credited and it is used for non-commercial use. If you would like to read a printed version of this and other articles on Mormon thought, please visit square2.org. That's S-Q-U-A-R-E-T-W-O dot O-R-G. Thank you for listening.